seated. Good evening. Prior to a big battle, a general said to his troops, don't shoot to kill, shoot to wound. And the soldiers were confused by this, and so they asked the general, why would you give such a directive? Why would you say shoot to wound and not shoot to kill? And the general said, because if you kill, you only remove one of the enemy from the battle. But if you wound, it takes at least two to carry him off the battlefield. It takes two more at least to tend to him in the Red Cross tent. It takes at least two more to rehabilitate him and get him back into action. So if you shoot to kill, you only lose one out of the battle. If you shoot to wound, you lose at least seven. You know, I think when it comes to our spiritual battle, there are many people who are wounded, many people that are sidelined. We talked about this somewhat last week when we looked at Paul's words in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. And we need to be, as Christian soldiers, there to pick up the wounded, to carry them even, if need be, to rehabilitate them, to get them back into service. But when we do that, it's quite the opposite of a physical battle. In a physical battle, that would mean that several people would be out of action or out of commission. But in a spiritual battle, we win when we rally around one another, when we show love for one another, when we pick one another up. We show Satan that he does not have a hold on us as a people. You see, I think the devil is perfectly content with just wounding people. I think he would rather destroy us. But he's okay with just wounding us. But we show him that by wounding us, he doesn't put us out of commission because we rally around one another and our love shows defeat to him and victory for us. Look at Galatians 6, 1 and 2 again. Remember, we read this last week. It says, Brethren, if, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You know, if there was one statement, one rule of thumb, one declaration so universal and so comprehensive that it would serve as a concise standard by which all conduct by Christians should be measured, it would be this, love others like Christ loves you. That is the law of Christ by which all Christian relationships are governed. But, while we talked about last week bearing one another's burdens, and while that is vitally important, there is another statement that Paul makes in verse 5 that we cannot ignore. He says this, For each one will bear his own load. So is Paul contradicting himself? Is he doing a 180? Is he going back on what he just said in verses 1 and 2? Not when you understand that the word that is used here for, for bear in verse 2 is baros. It means to uh, anything pressing on one physically. That is actually the word that is used in verse 2. It's a weight that makes a demand on one's resources. Baros always suggests that which is heavy or burdensome. But then when you look at load or burden in verse 5, it's a different word in the Greek. It's the word for tion. 
I'm sometimes guilty of pronouncing the Greek like Spanish, so forgive me if I didn't pronounce that correctly, but this denotes something that is carried. Sticking with our soldier or war analogy, portion is, is a word that would be used in talking about the sack that a soldier would carry as he got his marching orders. As Christian soldiers engaged in a fight for our soul, there is a load that we all must carry. We all have a personal responsibility to bear a load that no one else can shoulder for us. While we have every right to expect our fellow combatants to be there to pick us up when we fall, to help us when we're wounded, we also all have a burden that we have to carry ourselves and that we shouldn't expect someone else to carry for us. You probably heard the term high maintenance. You know, high maintenance typically just means that you have to give more TLC to something to make it run properly. Maybe you have an appliance in your home that's high maintenance. I used to have a lawnmower that was high maintenance. Anytime I wanted to mow the yard, I had to do a lot just to get it going and to keep it running. Maybe you have uh, a car like that. High maintenance just means that you have to go beyond the normal to keep it running smoothly and properly. Maybe you know a person that's high maintenance. Maybe your spouse is high maintenance. Please don't say amen or raise your hand. Maybe you have a pet that's high maintenance. Maybe you have a child that's high maintenance. We talk about people being high maintenance sometimes, and believe it or not, within the Lord's church, there are Christians that are high maintenance. None that go here, thankfully, but in other places. There are Christians that are high maintenance. And what happens is that high maintenance Christians refuse to bear their own load and they require other people to bear the load for them. And then it takes attention away from the people who are wounded and the people that need the help truly. And so obviously we want to avoid being those kind of people. High maintenance Christians are the ones that feel like that the church has to meet all of their needs, which they should feel that way. But at the same time, they should meet all their wants as well. But you see, they're not willing to do much to help themselves. They're only looking for others to take care of them. These are Christians who won't do anything unless they are constantly prodded or poked. In short, they are Christians who probably never feel like the church is doing enough. You know, there are many folks in the Lord's church that are asking someone else to shoulder the load that they could be carrying. It's not a burden per se, to them it is, but it's not really a burden in the truest sense of the word. It's not a baros or a, a heavy burden that can overwhelm a person and bow them to despair. No, it's more of a portion, a load that they could be hoisting onto their backs. They just choose not to. You know, all of God's people are important. Even the high-maintenance ones are important. Even the sore heads that want to gripe about everything, they're important to God. They should be important to us. They should be important to the leaders in the Lord's church. But there are some brothers and sisters who are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And we have been talking a little bit about that in, in our Sunday morning lessons. We have been aiming those lessons directly at the many people in our own congregation who have been suffering deeply from loss or a diagnosis that's debilitating. Those folks need us when they're wounded, when they're down. But if we're so busy tending to other folks that don't really need us, 
then that's a problem. And so it's, it's, it's imperative that all of us as Christians bear our own load, that we understand that there is a, a load that we all must shoulder ourselves, that we can't ask anyone else to shoulder when we're perfectly capable of doing so. There are things that we may not necessarily be fond of, things that we don't necessarily want to bear on our own, but they are ours anyway. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must take up his own cross and follow after me. So there is a burdensome thing at that, that we are to bear or to take up our own cross. Following Jesus isn't easy, but we all have our own cross that we have to bear. It is that cross of responsibility. You know, crosses were they're wooden, they were heavy, they were burdensome, they weren't easy to carry. It seems as though Jesus expects us to, right? And certainly we can expect others to help us when we fall under the weight of that, of that cross, when we, when we need help. But as much as we are able, we should carry our own cross. And as much as we are able, as Paul says, we are to bear our own burdens. The things that we determine in our lives are, are difficult. Maybe things that aren't as, exactly as difficult as we think they are. You remember the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 5, Starting in verse 12 said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes uh, only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You know, many people are weak because they haven't grown. And certainly the church should be there to help every babe in Christ move from milk to meat. That should be part of our responsibility as mature Christians, to help the weaker Christians or to help the babes in Christ to move from milk to meat. But it's not only the responsibility of the preacher. It's not only the responsibility of the youth minister or the involvement minister. Nor is it only the responsibility of the elders. You know who else has a responsibility in all of this? You do. You, the individual Christian, have to become a self-feeder. At some point, you have to understand that the church cannot afford to spoon-feed you your entire life. You've got to take off the bib, put on an apron, and get ready to go. At some point, you've got to take the responsibility of feeding yourself. You cannot expect to come to church two or three hours a week and that be enough. You've got to feed yourself continuously a spiritual diet on God's Word. A closed Bible never helped anybody. Open it. Study it. This is a spiritual exercise that, that does our heart, our soul, so much good. Feeding ourselves through feasting on God's Word, through serving others, through getting out of our comfort zone and being willing to go out and step out and help others and understanding that it's not all about you. You see, high-maintenance Christians make it all about them. It's all about me. What can this church do for me? What are they going to do for me? And that's what they look for when they shop for a church. How are they going to cater to me? And certainly we understand that you want a good youth group for your kids. You want to be fed and all those. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the shopping list that includes all of these superficial things. When in actuality, when we're looking for a church home, the question we need to be asking is, how can I help this church? Will they feed me? And can I help them? Where can I dig in and help? What can I do 
to further the kingdom with this group of people. Many are weak because they haven't grown. And they don't understand that it's not the church's job solely to feed them. We have to accept responsibility for our individual growth. You know, in life, we, we witness it all the time, people who just won't grow up, right? You've been back to your 10 or 20 or 30-year class reunion? You see those people, don't you? They just refuse to grow up. I mean, it's the same people that were, that were drinking and doing all those things in high school and running around and being, being crazy. They, they're the same way at 40 or 50 years old. They just haven't grown up, and they refuse to grow up. And we all know someone like that. And there are Christians right, like that. They just refuse to grow up. They refuse to do anything different because their growth is stunted. Perhaps they're comfortable where they're at, and they don't want to go any further. The church doesn't have time to coddle those folks. The church has to be about bigger things. Don't be an unnecessary burden because you won't bear your own burden. You know, you want to get a a fiery conversation started? You know, just mention our current welfare system in the United States. Next time you're having a casual conversation with someone, just bring that up. See how that conversation goes. There are many people in our country that are disenchanted with the way the welfare system has been abused. Now, we can't deny that it has and still helps many people. But, you know, we get angry when we talk about the freeloaders, the people that are living off the system that we're paying for, right? And we get all upset and we get, we get fired up about that. But you know what, folks? It's that way in the church. There are people that are, that are gaining the benefits of being in a spiritual family, but they're not willing to do anything. We could call them spiritual freeloaders. They're the high-maintenance Christians that are living off the system, but they're not doing anything to contribute. Again, they're, they're wearing a bib when they should have taken it off a long time ago and put on an apron. They're what we would call, what we would call the consumers. They're what we would call the spectators, but they're not participants. They are taking, but they're not giving. Remember again, in Hebrews, this time in chapter 6, he continues by writing, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and, e and eternal judgment. The church is there to provide love and support and encouragement, and the church should be deeply involved in the process of, of helping Christians grow and mature. However, the church can't do it all for you. There comes a time when you have to leave the foundational things. A foundation is good, but if you commissioned a home builder to build you a home and they laid the foundation and stopped, you'd be rather upset. And you know as well as I do, the foundation is very important. You can't build a solid structure without the foundation. But you also can't have a solid structure without building on the foundation. You want to get your money's worth. And to get your money's worth, he better build you a whole structure. There are times when we've got to lay that foundation. And it's a good foundation. But there's also a time that you have to build on it. That you have to build a structure that is solid. The high-maintenance Christian, the one that refuses to bear their own burdens, is the one that refuses to build on the foundation or to leave that foundation. And you know what happens a lot of times? I've seen a lot of times that 
a high-maintenance Christian may get disenchanted with the church that they're a part of. They get angry, they get upset, because obviously if they have the expectations of certain wants being met and they're not met, then what happens? Well, I go somewhere else where they will meet them, right? And we tend to blame others. We tend to say, you know, it's not my fault. I mean, I was here. You know, they didn't do for me what they should have done for me. We, and we tend to shift the blame. That's how our society works. When we talk about the welfare system, that's, that's what we do. You know, those who are, who are taking advantage of the system, I'm sure many of them would try to play the blame game or try to, you know, say, well, I wouldn't be in this condition if it wasn't for this or this or this. You know, I read an article not long ago on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and the article stated that killers become killers for two reasons. So if you ever wonder why people murder, here's the two reasons. Number one, a difficult delivery at birth. And number two, they were rejected by their mother. That's the two reasons that this article gave for why killers become killers. So, try using that defense in court if you're a murderer, right? Well, judge, it's not my fault. They used forceps when they delivered me. I was destined to be this, right? I was destined to become a killer because my mother had difficulty delivering me at birth. But that's what we do in our society. We point the finger. We blame something else. And I understand that certain people are predisposed to certain things. But at the end of the day, we make choices. And we are the sum total of all of our choices, aren't we? And we see this throughout the Bible. This is not something new in our society. You remember when Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden fruit, God confronts Adam, and what does Adam do? Well, he blames the woman, but he blames God too, doesn't he? The woman that you gave me. You did this, God. If you hadn't created her, we wouldn't have this mess. And then Eve, of course, does some blame shifting herself, right? The devil made me do it, basically, is what she says. This is our world. This is what we do. We, we shift the blame. We point the finger at someone else. But we are the sum total of all of our choices. We cannot justify our actions by blaming outside factors. We cannot shed the blame. We are responsible. We are held accountable. Some loads are meant to be shared. Some loads belong to us, and we are the only ones who can carry them. In fact, we have a personal responsibility to do so. We can be encouraged by those around us. We can feel their love and support, but ultimately, we can't shed the weight of the cargo that we should be bearing and hope that someone else will carry it for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, Paul says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, we're all going to face the judgment someday. As we said this morning, we're all born with an expiration date. At the end of the day, none of us are getting out of here alive. And when we face our Creator, when we face our Lord on the judgment day, it will be because of what we have done while in the flesh. Our judgment will be based on who we followed. It will be based on the decisions that we made, the choices that we made. As I've said before, heaven is won or lost right here, right now. As I've also said before, God doesn't really send anybody to hell. You send yourself to hell by the choices that you make or to heaven. And so blaming the devil doesn't work. Blaming someone else doesn't work. You will stand before the Lord with all the veneer and all the excuses stripped away 
and you and your actions will be completely exposed, and therefore we must grow up, we must rise up, we must fess up and say, I am responsible, this is no one's fault but my own, I am the problem, I am the cause, I am the one and the only one who is to blame, and no one else can bear this responsibility for me. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. I watched a movie not long ago, and I, for the life of me, can't remember the name of it, but this car was turned over on its side in the middle of these railroad tracks. And you could hear a train in the distance barreling down the tracks. And the rescuers were trying to get the people out of the vehicle, and they were unsuccessful in doing so. These people were trapped inside. The train is bearing down. It's getting closer and closer. The townspeople had come out and to watch all the commotion, and they decided to gather around the vehicle, and everyone picked the vehicle up, and they moved it off the tracks just as the train barreled by and everyone was safe. Remember that movie? Have you seen that movie? I don't remember it. Remember the name of it. And I think about that, and I think maybe that's a good illustration for the church, that when we are wounded, when we are lying on the tracks, Satan is barreling down, about to run over us, that everybody gathers around, they pick, they pick us up, they pick the wounded up, and they move us off the tracks just in time. That's a good illustration of what Paul's talking about in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. But you know what? That vehicle could also represent the high-maintenance Christian. What if the vehicle was, was, was upright, sitting in the middle of the tracks, in neutral, and the person was just revving their engine with the doors locked? And people are knocking on the window saying, hey, get off the tracks, dummy. There's a train coming. And they don't do anything. People try to, try to open the door to pull them out of there by force, but they lock the doors. They don't want anybody pulling them out. They just sit there and rev the engine. All they'd have to do is put it in drive and drive off the tracks, and they won't even go to that amount of energy to do it. You see, there's a load that we have to bear, a responsibility that we have, that we can't ask anyone to bear for us, that we can't really share with anyone around us. And certainly, when it comes to being wounded, when it comes to sin or, or, or death or, or debilitating disease, whatever it may be, we should expect the church to be there for us. I'm, I'm grateful that we have a congregation that is for uh, the wounded, that is there and willing to help. As I said before, one of the biggest things about the church that aggravates me that I see so often is we're about the only institution, if you want to call it that, that shoots its wounded. And you see that so often in the church. And I'm grateful that we have a congregation here that doesn't do that, that rallies around those who are in need and prays for them, that loves on them, that cares about them. And I don't, I don't want that to ever stop. And I don't want anybody sitting here this evening to think, well, I can't share my burdens. I can't share anything because I've got to keep this to myself. I've got to suppress it. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying when it comes to daily growth and maturity and development, when it comes to being everything that God would have you to be, it's good that you have this great social network there to help you. But some of these things are your own responsibility and you can't shed them. You can't expect everyone else to pick you up and carry you when you're perfectly capable of walking yourself. That's what he's getting at. There is a pack that we have to put on our shoulders and we have to carry ourselves. And we can't expect anyone else to do it for us. And so we bear one another's burdens. We bear our own burdens. And next week we're going to talk about bearing the brand marks of Christ. The three bears that Paul talks about.
You know, this has been a series, especially the Sunday morning series, that has not been fun to research and to put together. You know, sometimes people joke and say, well, you know, must be nice to only work one day a week, you know. Uh, if you only knew the amount of time and tears and effort spent on the lessons like we've been doing on Sunday morning, and, you know, Jake and Blake have to be the recipient of me bouncing ideas off of them, so they have to, they have to bear that burden as well. It's not been fun, but at the same time, I think it's needed. And I think what our congregation needs is some hope. You know, we can look out here and we can see a building being built and we can get excited about that and we can get excited about the people placing membership and all that. But at the end of the day, life is hard. It's tough. But thankfully, it's not all that there is. And I hope that we can provide some hope. And I hope you leave here with some hope. And I hope that as I charge you with every Sunday when you leave here, you'll provide others with that hope. Because I'm sure all of you in your daily routine come in with somebody, come in contact with somebody who needs hope. And maybe they don't even have Christ in their life. You may be the best sermon they ever hear. You may be the only Bible they ever read. Be good to them. Give them hope. And if we can help you tonight in any way, come now as we stand and as we sing.